Let's pray at this time. Father, I thank you this morning, God, that you brought us into this place. And God, as we kind of cover a unique topic this morning, Lord, I stand before you and before this congregation, and I just want to say that I'm, I'm not worthy and I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, God, but I hide behind your word this morning, and I hide behind your gospel. And I pray that today you would open our minds and our hearts to the way that you want us to engage the world that we find ourselves in today, God. God, open our minds to what you can do and how you can use us in this world as we talk about what it looks like to be creative, but ultimately creative for the sake of the gospel. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll remain standing at this time, if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read verses 19 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen. And uh, if this text doesn't make sense to you this morning, uh, don't worry. That's what the sermon is about, so I'll explain it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, this is Paul writing to a church that was uh, going through some struggles, facing some division, not sure how to do different things and methods and uh, different rules and regulations. And he writes this to them. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. May God bless the reading of this word in our church and your life. You may be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. I love you guys. I'm I'm glad to be with you as always. And... um, Today I have the privilege of closing out just probably like the shortest sermon series we've ever done. It's three weeks on just some values that we have as a a church. Um, And we want to preach on these values because if if we just say them and we don't explain kind of where we get them from or why we're doing them, then they should be suspect. But uh, it is is my hope that after hearing the sermon this morning, uh, you would understand why I use the word creativity in terms of what I hope to be one of our values that forms and molds our church in the years to come. Uh, after this week, we're going to head into a brand new sermon series called Brave, where we're looking at the gospel, understanding what the gospel is and how we can share that gospel in our world today. It'll be about a four or five week series. So if you're like, I'm awful at sharing the gospel and the love of Christ and living it out, then you're going to want to come and bring a friend because we're going to help do that on a real practical level. Um, and then after that, we're going to go into the book of Philippians for, for a good while, for about 10, 11 weeks. And we're going to go verse by verse through that book, diving into it. And then it's going to be Christmas time, and we're going to have an Advent sermon series, and then 2016 is over. And then it's crazy, like 2017 is upon us, right? It's like, I feel like Goal, Goal Sunday was like three weeks ago, right? 
And we got Goal Sunday coming up in, in, 20, in like four months, so um, it's interesting. But um, today I'm, I'm actually really excited because um, I've actually never heard a, a sermon um, on the topic of creativity and, and the Christian life. And yet I, I've, I've begun to notice that in the church, um, and once again, I don't just preach from a white oak perspective, I mean the church as a whole, um, I, I sense a wave of creativity and, and newness with the way that people are not only engaging the gospel personally, but the way that we're going about sharing the good news of Jesus with people. Uh, we live in one of the most rapid times of change in human history, and I, and I am not overstating that. We will look back on this time in history through the internet and through the creation of electricity, which wasn't all that long ago, right? With all these changes in, in industrialization, the way that we do life and the way that we work and the things that we do, we live in a rapid time of change. And with all the new things happening in the world, we can look at these things and be fearful of them, or we can begin to ask ourselves, how can we take the good news of Jesus Christ and use all these things that are happening in the world to advance this message that Jesus gave to us 2,000 years ago? If you were to to define the word creativity, I looked it up in Webster's, right? Because Webster's is like the ultimate definition for everything, right? Webster says that creativity is the ability to make new things or think of new ideas. And yet most definitions of creativity, when we're talking about what is creativity, are, are the idea of taking old things and finding fresh ways to do them. So the printing press was a fresh way of communicating. Communication is ancient. Humans have always uh, communicated, but we've taken different things and different means, and we found creative ways to communicate and to be connected to one another. And so when I talk about creativity, right, I'm not saying we're creating anything new. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not saying that we're, we're creating a new gospel, We are in no means changing anything of the message that Jesus has given us. But what I define creativity as in for creativity for the sake of the gospel is that creativity for the sake of the gospel is communicating timeless truth in a timely manner. That's an important phrase for our day. If you want to write that down. Creativity for the sake of the gospel is communicating timeless truth in a timely manner. And I want to be very clear, I didn't come up with that phrase. I heard it uh, by a preacher once. I don't remember who it was, so I can't quote it. But God knows who it is, right? So I don't want you to think, that's a really good phrase, isn't it, right? But I heard it, and I just loved it. It was so good, so I kind of took it. Uh, but I don't want to plagiarize, because that's a bad thing to do, right? I'm preaching a sermon. I can't be sitting up here, right? So, uh, so timeless truth communicated in a timely way. And so what I mean by that is here's what does not change, okay? The Bible does not change. The gospel does not change. God's order does not change. God's truth does not change. Who God is never changes. God is who he is, and he is glorious. Amen. God is glorious. He is beautiful. He is amazing. But here's what does change. Times. Civilization. The circumstances that we face. Culture changes. Methods change. And so it is our response as a church to find the world that we're in, to learn it, to understand it, and then to use the things that we have at our disposal for the sake of the gospel advancing in the world. 
And though the word creativity may not be in the Bible itself, neither is the word trinity, right? The word trinity is a word that we use. It's a theological term developed in the second and third century used to describe the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in his wholeness, right? So though the word trinity is not in the Bible, what the word trinity points to, the Father, Son, and Spirit, is clearly in Scripture. I would also refer us to the word gospel itself. The word gospel was not a word unique to Jesus, the word gospel was, it was a Roman word, and we've explained this before, but back in the day, like I said, the Roman Empire loved the Roman Empire, so they'd go around conquering people, right? And whenever they would conquer an army or conquer a province, they didn't have Twitter, Facebook, social media, the television. They, they had no way to communicate to all the peasants and the people out in the land that, hey, you're a part of the Roman Empire. Your, your army lost, right? So they would send out what they refer to as evangelist to share the gospel or the good news. And the good news was, hey, look, the, the Roman Empire has come. And when you understand that, it shows you how scandalous it is that when Jesus emerges and his followers emerge, they take this word and they use it to describe what God was doing in the world. They took a Roman word and they infused it with the unchanging truth of God and said, hey, look, here's the real gospel. Here's the real good news. Here's the real kingdom that you want to be a part of. So we basically just hijacked the word gospel and now we're never giving it back, right? So, but we seek to do the same thing with creativity, because the world says these things, the world says these words, right? And yet we have this conviction that everything was created by God. Music was created by God, so we seek to use that art form to glorify Him. There is no mandate in Scripture that we have to have music, but we find it beneficial, we find it powerful. Man, we're singing I Surrender All. I mean, you know, it's, it's better when Lindsay sings it than if I just stand up here and say, I surrender all, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. No hands are going to be raised to that, right? That'd be kind of creepy if if there were. So we use creativity. We we use new and fresh ways. And and, and the core of, of what I'm trying to explain today is the gospel never changes. But what I want for you and for this church is I want us to be open to new methods and new ways of sharing this glorious and amazing message. I believe the Bible is full of creativity. What always fascinates me is the parables of Jesus, right? He speaks in these stories. You know, when I first became a preacher, I used to love, like, telling stories, and I was in college, and I kind of felt maybe bad about sharing stories because I would get really excited about a story. If you hear me tell a story, I get real excited, and I want to share it, and I, I want to tie it to the sermon somehow, and sometimes it works better than other times, right? But I try at least, right? So I get A for effort. Um, but I would love telling stories, and I would kind of feel convicted about it until, because I was like, you know, I just need to focus on the truth. Just tell it like it is. I don't need to spice it up. I don't need to make it sound good. I don't need to get to your heart. Just, just say the truth of God, and God will kind of take it from there. And though that's true, I took a class on the parables of Jesus, and I studied for six months the reality that Jesus used relevant stories in his day to explain biblical and spiritual truth. Jesus went to fishermen who knew a lot about fishing, and he said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He took an idea from their culture and infused spiritual truth with it. When, when explaining how valuable the kingdom that he was bringing was, he didn't just say, hey, the kingdom is very valuable, and you need to know that, right? He, could, I mean, he, he might have said that too, but what he said was, like, the kingdom of heaven is like um, buried treasure, that a man stumbled across, and when he found this treasure, it was so valuable that he went and sold everything he had so that he could buy that land, so that he could have that treasure. He uses the idea of real estate to explain the kingdom of God. Jesus used timely stories 
to convey timeless truth. In the Psalms, King David gets like super emotional and creates these beautiful poems, these beautiful songs. And yet what does he do? He uses this God-given creativity to not just say the truth, but to say it in a way that moves our soul in a way that we can't fully describe. He doesn't just say, the Lord is your leader. He doesn't just say, the Lord is your provider. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He uses this creative spirit, this creative imagery. And so it sticks with us within our human souls. The Genesis story, as you know, is the creation story. God creates the world. And then after the creator God, we we see him in Genesis. He then creates us in his image and he tells humanity to subdue the earth. I love that word subdue because it's this idea of taking the earth that he's given us and and mold it together to sustain life. Mold the world. Take it. He doesn't tell him exactly how to do it. He says, go into this world and figure out how to live how to do things, how to raise a family, take what I've given you. That, that's why we use medicine and all these things, because everything comes from God himself. The Bible is full of new works. I think we often don't even realize that the printing press in general, invented about 500 years ago, that there was, for the majority of human history, they've not had the Bible in their hand, right? Where you have a personalized Bible in your hand that you own that is in your language, In the grand scheme of things, this is a new concept, right? But this printing press was invented, and some people have this really good idea. What if we take this new technology, and what if we use it to print the Bible in various languages and pass them out so that every person can have the Word of God in their hands, and it can be easily accessible to them? See, before then, the majority of Scripture was was communicated verbally. You would go to church or the synagogue or whatever, and you would hear the word preached, And you would try to hear it and memorize it and learn it because you couldn't go home and review what the pastor said or or whoever was leading the service, right? It's a new thing. It's a a new idea. And the church has said, look, we are going forward with the gospel message and we're going to take everything we can do and we're going to use it to advance the mission and the message of Jesus. Even today as we stand here in the service, we are living off of a spirit-empowered creativity of those who have gone before us. Right? Two years ago when I became the pastor, I didn't say, hey, I've got a really cool idea. We're going to gather together and you're going to listen to me talk for 30 minutes every service, right? It wasn't a new, I didn't, like, like this is a, a, a tradition, a heritage that, that we have taken from other people and that we've, we've, we still use, obviously. But, but somebody came up with that, right? It's not commanded in scripture that you have to have a 30-minute sermon at every service. But we came up with it to, because we felt it was an effective way to explain the truth of God to a larger group of people. And so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to dive into our actual text this morning. And before we do it, I have to give some context because this is one of those ones that you're going to read and, and it needs to really be explained. And, uh, and this is going to be a vast oversimplification. I, I, my, one of my personal opinions is like First and Second Corinthians are some of those confusing books in the Bible in terms of like, you know, you really, really need to know the context to understand it. Um, but an oversimplification of kind of what's going on in this passage is that the church in Corinth, which is a, a church that Paul was ministering to and working with, right, when the, the gospel was first spreading, right, Christ had risen and he had ascended and his message was going forward and churches were popping up and there was this church in a place called Corinth, right, and the church in Corinth was jacked up. It was a bad church, right? You think we got issues, think the church on the street got issues. Um, based on my reading of 1 Corinthians, this church had it like way, way worse, right? If we ever get bad, we're probably not going to be as bad as 1 Corinthians. We may, that'd be really bad. But 
The church had a lot of issues. And the reason was because they had a bunch of diverse, different people from different backgrounds. So Corinth was a, was a port town. It was where things were traded. It was where uh, people went. It was a big, urban, diverse environment, you know, kind of like Houston. And so you had all these people in the church who were professing Jesus as their Savior, trying to follow him, but they came from different backgrounds. There were people who were familiar with the law and the Jewish tradition who were trying to kind of uphold that from a Christian perspective. And there were people who had no understanding of the law, right? I mean, they, their family wasn't raised in them. They just heard that some guy died for them, that they could be saved and their sins could be washed away. But they didn't understand the customs and the rituals, right? And then within those groups, there was even bigger breakdowns. And so it was a lot of different opinions. And one of the main issues they were having, right, which to us doesn't seem like a big deal, but it was a huge deal to them, was in chapters 8 through 11, Paul is tackling this issue of should you eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols, okay? So the reason why that was an issue was because there were false gods in this culture and context, false, uh, false deities, and people would sacrifice meat and animals to it. But what would happen is, for whatever reason, sometimes after the meat was sacrificed and given to these false deities, it would end up in the markets as meat you would buy, right? So it's like if you were to go to Kroger, like I do normally, and get some ground beef, right? It would be like, you know, so this ground beef was previously sacrificed to some false god over at Ella and 43rd. That's like this big statue, right? And the question was, based upon the Jewish law, should we eat this, should we not eat this, right? And so there were some people that were like, it's not a big deal, right? We're free from the law, we're liberated, right? As long as God knows our hearts, if we're just eating to eat it and we're not trying to worship this false God, then it's not a big deal. But other people were like, no, like you can't eat meat sacrificed to a false God. Like that was against the Jewish custom. You can't do that, right? Why would you ever want to do that? It was given over to a false God. Why would you want to eat it, right? It probably tastes nasty anyway, right? It's, it's infected and it's, it's probably bad for you, right? You're going to, you know, get like a spiritual cancer and die or something. Like, like why would you do that? It's so irreverent to God. And so Paul comes along and, and, and begins to say essentially what he, what he says in chapter 9 before what we're going to read here is he says ultimately, he goes, I believe that you guys should not eat this meat. He says, because it may cause somebody to stumble. He's like, you are free to do what you want, right? It, it's not a salvific life or death issue. But I would recommend that you do not eat it so as it may cause someone to stumble, right? But then he describes his underlying motive for why he says this and why he gives this answer, which I think is the thrust of our, our idea this morning. In verse 19, he says this. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So what he says is the reason why I'm saying this and doing it this way is because I believe that if I live my life this way, if I conduct my actions this way, even though I'm free to do what I need to do, right? Anything short of sin, right? I'm doing this so that I may win more people. I'm commuting my, communicating my message in a certain way that I may win more of them. Verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. So what he says is, in the moments when I'm ministering to the Jewish people, I, I hold up that custom, right? And, and Paul was originally a Jew, so he had a lot of experience in that realm, right? And so he's like, I will communicate my message through the lens of this, of this law to win more of them. I will orient myself in those contexts to win them. And then in verse 21, he says, to those outside the law, I became as one who is outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. So when I'm in the other context, I orient my life differently, right? I kind of take a different posture. I don't change my truth or my message, but I communicate it in a different way. I kind of become one of them, right? And then verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. 
And then in verse 23, this is like my favorite verse in it. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. And this is such a relevant verse for us in the church and in our lives in general because he teaches us in this moment how to orient our life and our preferences and the way that we shape things in a way such that the gospel would be proclaimed through our life, that people would see the good news of Jesus in our life, and that they would share in the blessings because of their receiving of this message. You see, Paul is communicating one unchanging message, but to different types of people. And so what I think we see here, if we take a modern version of what Paul is saying here, it's the same spirit that I'm communicating to you when I'm advocating for a spirit-empowered creativity for the sake of the gospel. Because there's this message that we proclaim. And there's this life that we're called to live. But let's be honest, there's a lot of different ways that we can do it. There's a lot of ways. There's, there's a lot of different contexts and people. And you've got in our city, you have, you have people who might be in poverty and they might be poor. They might be uh, generational people who, who have never had much, right? So they, they, they see the world differently than the young professional who was raised in a really good home and educated from a young age. And, you know, his parents loved him and cared for him and gave them the education and came right out of college with a job making $100,000 a year. And their, their biggest question is not how am I going to put food on the table, but are we going to go to Hawaii this year? Are we going to go to Singapore this year? Or are we just going to do a staycation and eat at a bunch of nice restaurants, right? It's a different life, right? His, his issues is he's stressing about like retirement and getting that in order. Where someone else is like, I don't know if I can provide food for my child. We see the world differently. My wife is so crazy. She grew up going to foreign countries. Her family, were, they, were, they were missionaries. And so like she grew up like going to all these different places and all these different cultures. And I literally grew up down the block from here, right? Like I, you know, I never got more than five miles away from home to this point, right? Like I'm, I'm sheltered in that sense, right? But, but, I, but I understand Houston. I understand longevity, whereas my wife is more of like the adventurous, like fun one, and she understands different cultures, and she makes fun of me because she says that my diet is so strict and limited, right, because we were raised differently. I'm like, you don't need to go far beyond burger and fries, in my opinion, right? Like, you, you, can, stay, you can stay in that, but, but, but it's a different way of seeing things, right? People are, are, are so extremely different, and the beauty of what Paul says, and I, I love this, and this is so Christ-like, is he surrenders his methods and his preferences and his way of doing everything to assimilate to the people that he's trying to share the gospel with. And when I say creativity, what I mean is are we open to doing things, obviously short of sin, that will connect with the world around us because we really care about them knowing who Jesus Christ is? Are we willing to become like these people? Are we willing to, to know them and to, to share in them and to, to eat the food and go to the restaurants? Are we willing to live in the community? Are we willing to do these things? Are we willing not to be like totally random and outsider, right? That the only thing that should be weird to them about us is the gospel, that we don't compromise that message, but we, we understand them and we communicate it in a way that they understand. And it couldn't be a relevant sermon without me talking about Trump. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little thing here. The thing about Trump that like, nobody realizes, I'm not going to get into all the politics of it, right? It, it, no one talks about, right, is, is Trump has revolutionized the way that presidential politics goes about. Because Trump is like the first president who has consistently had his message on this thing called Twitter. Raise your hand if you know what Twitter is. You've heard of Twitter. You heard of Twitter? Okay, like everybody, right? 
He went to this new platform that people kind of thought was a, was a secondary thing. And while everyone else is paying for like radio ads and television ads, you know, on, on TV, Trump basically gets all of his coverage and all of his media and all the things he does, he does on things that people can see on their smartphones and their tablets and their televisions. And so Trump knows if I get on CNN, if I get on Fox News, if I communicate my message there, if, if I, if I uh, do Twitter and things like that, then whether you're at work, you can see me on your computer, you can see me on your iPhone when you're at lunch, you can come home and I'm on, on the front news story on CNN. CNN, right, and Fox News, right, and MSNBC. Everybody's talking about it, right? Trump has communicated his message in a timely manner. He's done it in a way where people have been able to access the things that he is saying. He's been creative. He's, he's kind of changed and flipped the script, hasn't he? He's communicating his message in a way that people hear. And so the question for us as Christians, are we willing to do the same. Uh, turn me to Acts chapter 17. This will be our last scripture for this morning. Acts 17, uh, verses 16 through 27. It's uh, not on the screen. Um, it's kind of a little bit longer, but I'm going to read it real quick. And, and I like this passage because what it does is it, um, in 1 Corinthians, we've talked about Paul kind of instructing the church in Corinth, but now I'm going to give you an image of actually Paul's life in motion for the gospel. And I want you to see the way that he engages these people in a way where he's creative to relate with them in a way that they understand. Listen to the words reasoned and how he was observant of the world around him, of the people he was ministering to. Verse 16, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, right, so he's waiting on one of his journeys, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So this is like a spirit-led thing, a spirit-empowered thing. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he is preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. So it was, it was an exchange of ideas. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who has made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything." And so what Paul does in that moment is he says, okay, look, you guys are obviously religious. You've got some gods. You've got some statues. You've got some things. I see you understand this. Now let me communicate this message to you in a way that you understand because you obviously think that, that this statue embodies God. And yet Paul says, but, but the God that, that I serve, the gospel that I share, that God does not dwell in temples made by men. He's not compact in a statue. This is your framework. This is your understanding. But that's not the way that my God is. He's, he's observant. He goes and he, he reasons with them. I love that. He reasons. He doesn't just say, here's the truth. Oh, you don't like it. Later, forget you guys. I don't like you. 
Um, you, you need to get your life. To, I mean, he, he goes and reasons and he talks to them and he, he understands where they're coming from. And he, he portrays the gospel in a helpful and relevant manner. And so I think the main application for all of this, for our church and for our lives, and I love this image, is when I say creativity for the sake of the gospel, the image I want you to think of is that creativity builds a bridge for the sake of the gospel. Creativity builds a bridge for the sake of the gospel. Think about like a bridge, right? So I went to float the river at a a bachelor party I was at this weekend. And uh, we went to, like, the hill country in the New Bronzeville area. And, you know, unlike in Houston where there's not many, like, rivers and hills and things like that, right? Uh, I mean, we have some bridges, but our bridges are used to get over all the traffic, right? In Houston, right? It's not like there's, like, massive chasms and mountains and hills and things like that. But out there, the hill country, um, they have, like, these creeks and these rivers that run through it and um, these kind of breaks in the, uh, the rock and the mountains and things like that. And so what they do is they build a bridge. But the interesting thing about a bridge is like the reason why you ultimately create a bridge is because it makes it easier and more accessible to get across two points that we believe need to be gotten across, right? But here's the interesting thing about a bridge. And I, and I was thinking about this this week. Say like you're going over this creek and there's like these, this chasm and a creek and it's where it'd be helpful if we had a road to drive our car across there, right? But there's this little chasm, say maybe it's, you know, 20 feet wide, maybe about the size from there to there, right? Um, there's like water in the middle of it, right? Just because a bridge isn't built right there does not mean that you can't cross it, right? I mean, most places, unless it's like the Grand Canyon or something, like even if there's not, you could still cross it. It would just be extremely difficult, Right? You'd be like, I guess having, you'd have to walk because you couldn't bring your car because you couldn't get your car down. The, you have to scale down the side and trek through the, the river or the creek or whatever. And hopefully you didn't get eaten by piranhas. Uh, that's, that's another place anyway. But you eat by fish and stuff and you'd scale back up the other side of the piranhas. You'd scale back up the other side of the mountain and you'd, you'd be on your merry way, right? But it would take forever and it'd be difficult and you couldn't take a car. And if you had kids, you might as well not even bother, Right? I'm hungry. I got it. It's like, oh my gosh. It's hard enough in a car with bridges to take you straight there, right? And so the thing about a bridge is it, it doesn't, it doesn't, bridge, just like creativity, it, it's not anything, like, it, it doesn't create something brand new to where, like, you can still create or explain the gospel in your life without a bridge, without, you, you can do it, right? But the goal is we want it to be understandable. We want it to be easy. We want it to be accessible to people. And so often I feel like our explanation of the gospel in the world that we live in is we're like, yeah, they could get across. They could understand the message in my life, but there's, there's no bridge. And so for someone to really look at my life and know what's going on, they could do it, right? Because God's truth is there and I, they know what I post on Facebook and stuff. But it's difficult. It's, it's not relatable and they don't understand it and they don't have the context that you have. And yet what creativity is, this openness to new ideas of explaining God's love to the world that is unchanging, is what if we were people who built bridges? What if we were people who made it more easy and more accessible? That people would have an opportunity to hear the gospel, to know the gospel because of our life. And we were willing to know people and care about the way that they are and care about their worldview. That we might explain the message of Jesus to them. And so some application for our church, right? And these are, uh, to me, the application for our church is just in the form of questions. Are, are we as a church willing in the future to surrender our preferences for the sake of the gospel? 
It's a question. And I don't, don't, I don't have like some big plan to change the church or anything. I'm like priming you for that, right? I'm, I'm just saying in general, right? In the future, are we open to create, like, like next week we're selling the building. No, I'm just kidding, like, right? Are, are we open to kind of what could happen? Because I, I don't know the future, and I don't know how things are, are going to change, right? But, but things are going to change, and, and people are going to view the world. I mean, are we willing to at times surrender our preferences that Houstonians would know the gospel of Jesus and understand it from their life? Are we willing to, to build those bridges? Or, I mean, how much do we love the outsiders, the people that are, that are different than us and they don't know our customs, right? I mean, another question is, is the gospel enough for us? If, if we were in a church that was faith, faithfully preaching the message of Jesus and, and who knows what it looks like or how it happens, is it enough or, or, or do we need certain things a certain way for us to feel like it's okay to be a part of that community? Is the gospel enough for us? But then personally, this is where it gets really interesting. And I've, I've been thinking about this week, even in my own life, about, you know, the word creativity just gives me so much freedom to think about, like, new ways outside of the mold that I can help people know who he is. And so for personally, the question is, how can we use our jobs? How can you use your personality, your God-given gifts, your abilities, your influence, your money, your family, your home, your whatever you have to build a bridge that people around you may have a path to Jesus. What can we change? What, what can we do? I mean, imagine if, like, we didn't have, like, this 2,000 years of church history and Christ rose and he gave us the Great Commission. It's like, man, we got to get this message out. Like, what would we do? Would we get together and brainstorm ideas or get, I mean, it's like, we, we gotta, people got to know. They don't know, obviously, right? So, so what are we going to do? And there's so many examples of this. I could, I could spend all day talking about this. But even like the idea of like, you take a, like an, a concept like global missions where like 200 years ago you would have to like, you know, I don't know, like travel by train or horseback or I don't know, whatever. But it was, it was hard to get places, right? And now like all of us, even someone that lives in Houston your entire life, you can easily, you could do like a mission trip like every year for the rest of your life for one week and maybe go to the same place and have a huge impact in that place, and you would never even have to live in that place. And there has never been another time in human history where that was even an option. You would go on a long traveling journey, and half the people on the journey would, would die in transition, right? Because the, the conditions were horrible, and yet we hop on a plane, we get a little money, hop on a plane, we're there. We have these creative avenues to express the, the gospel and, and, and our love for Jesus. I mean, even like the internet, once again, we go down this like a million different ways, but I mean, do we view the internet as a bridge or just a way to check where my friends are eating at today? And, you know, what has Trump said lately? And what is Hillary Clinton saying lately? And, and, and what's her response? What's his response, right? You see, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that he had a right to follow God. He had a right to whatever customs that he thought he needed to live by. But for the sake of the people that he knew coming to know the gospel, he was open to their culture, their practices, their customs, to build a bridge that people may know the gospel. Now, this is never an excuse to, to sin, right? I'm not saying open up like a, you know, strippers for Christ kind of thing, right? You know, that's where everyone goes, you know, that, that kind of like ministry, you know. That's not what I'm saying, right? It's that we would say... What could this actually, like, 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 take the veil off. Dream about what it could look like. Dream what could happen. Dream what, what, what could you do that maybe has never been done before, that because of your gift and your personality and the way that you come together, the way God's working in your life, 
What can you do? I think we have to be willing to look beyond the cliche things and realize that the Spirit of God dwells in us the same way it dwelt in Paul and all the great leaders of the church. And so in closing, I think of this idea of creativity in, in the Christian life and in our family relationships and marital relationships. I think creativity often says, I love you. And, and the reason is because creativity seeks to do the same old things in fresh ways because we want people to really understand what we're saying. The same way you get creative and in creative ways to let your spouse know that you love them or a creative way to let your kids know that you love them. It's, it's not that you're trying to be like just ran, get, creating random stuff. It's like, how do I need to communicate this to you that you will understand that I love you? How do I need to say it? How do I need to phrase it? How, how do I need to, to do it? How do I need to shift my thinking? Because I want you to understand that I love you. I want you to understand that I care. So what language do I need to speak that you would get it? And I'm willing to communicate it however I need to because I want you to know this. Is that the way that we view our lives in the gospel? Are we open to God doing new things in us, to birthing new dreams, new creative expressions of letting people know how God loves them? I always think of the cross when it comes to creativity and how, how God chose to send his son on the cross to die for the sins of the world. And to be risen to new life. And just the beauty of that conviction. And I don't know everything. I don't know how it all works out. But I know that God is sovereign. And I know that God chose to do this a certain way. In a powerful and transformational way. Because he wants us to understand the depths of his love for us. In the cross we see the creativity of God that he's willing to communicate this message on the death on a cross, that we would see him hanging there and realize God died for me. God did it that way for you. In the cross, God built a bridge that sinners would walk across and find forgiveness and eternal life with God. And so, yeah, we love newness and we like creativity and we're open, but it is all for the sake of the good news. That people would hear it, that they would know it, and we'll sing songs and we'll do whatever it takes that they would understand the love of God for them because we have experienced God's love to such a deep degree. And I don't know how you came to faith, but I guarantee you somebody built a bridge for us. I often say I liked basketball way before I liked Jesus, right, in the church. And so that's my challenge for us as we close this series. I want to be a church of community and mission. But I want to challenge you in your life to be open to building bridges that people would know Jesus through the way that you live your life. What a glorious mission God has given us. Let's pray.
Father, we believe that you work in our lives. And God, sometimes it seems like we get in these ruts in our personal relationship with you. We get in ruts and we feel like we don't know how to get out because we've tried all the things that we've always tried before and and something just doesn't work. God, I pray you'd birth a new dream in our hearts this morning and a new love for you. God, may we use the liberty that you've given us in the cross to communicate this message, God, however it needs to be communicated, Father. God, we are open. Send us, use us, equip us, and train us, God. God, use Wild Oak as a massive part of what you're doing in this city that's going to change lives for generations. God, we love your message. We love our eternal security. We love the happiness that you've spoken to our hearts and the forgiveness of sin. And there's no more guilt, condemnation, shame. God, those things are at the bottom of the ocean, God. And we've been lifted to new heights and to a wondrous life with you. And we're not worried about tomorrow because, God, you've, you've got it, God. And we have the Savior and the security, Father. But may we be a church that builds bridges that other people could share in this blessing, like Paul said, that other people could feel the forgiveness of sins, that other people could feel the newness of life, that other people who are outside in this community right now, God, that they could have their life changed because we reached out and loved them. God, we thank you for this mission. Pray you'd use these talks, Lord, to mold our community, to truly be an epicenter of gospel wonder. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.